You are listening to audio from The Creek Church. If you would like more information about The Creek, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Man, to even say that it's awesome to be back would be a vast, vast understatement. There's so many, so many faces that I hope to connect with by the end of today. But man, you guys are loved. It is so good to be back and see you. And um, I, I would say this. I, I told this to the service last night. You guys make it incredibly hard to leave. You guys make it incredibly easy to come home. So thank you for welcoming me back. This is incredible for me. I, I need to uh, say this. I, we're going to jump in pretty quickly, though, today. Um, I really feel that there's a message that God has put on my heart to share with you tonight. And I don't want to make this about Cleburne or return. I, I want to make it about what I feel like the Spirit of God wants to say this morning. So um, I will give you just a, a brief update in Cleburne. Man, Cleburne has been awesome. It's been difficult. It's, uh, it's been everything all wrapped in one. And I, I find it so hard to believe that it's been a year and a half since the last time I preached here. That's crazy to me. But uh, diving into Cleburne, giving our hearts there, loving our city has been just a beautiful process. It's been way harder than I ever imagined it would be. There's been a lot of difficulty, lots of attacks by the enemy. I'm going to talk about that a little bit today. But somebody actually snapped a picture of me the other day and posted it on social media, and it was crazy to me. Um, they got a picture of me, and they got a, what appears to be a picture of the Holy Spirit in it as well. That's, that's an odd thing to get. That's like taking a picture and... I don't know, in the woods or something and getting the film back and you see like a leprechaun smack in the behind of a Pegasus or something. You just don't catch that much. Well, um, somebody got it and it should come up for you any second now. Yeah, that is, that is me every day in Cleburne since we left. Holy Spirit's having a good time. He's laughing. He's holding my hand. I'm freaked out. But let's move on from that. And really, you guys have been in a uh, series called Faithful. And I'm going to be kind of landing that plane for us today and talking about how faith impacts our future and what it means really as a children of God to step out in faith. So in order to do that, we are going to be in the book of Esther this morning. It's going to be close to the middle of your Bibles if you want to go ahead and turn there now. Um, We're going to be doing four different readings from the book of Esther. And as you're turning there, I want to give you a little bit of a, uh, a history lesson just to catch you up on where the nation of Israel is right now in the book of Esther. So Babylon has come in. Babylon has ransacked Jerusalem, man. It is in shambles. Well, the Jewish people have been carried away into captivity into Babylon, and Babylon has now been taken over by Persia. And where we find ourselves in Esther this morning is it's in the third reign of a particular king within the kingdom of Persia. And at this time, this king, he throws just this massive party. You're going to see as we go through, man, they knew how to party back then. It, like, lasted days. Like, we don't do that much these days, but back then, they knew how to throw down. Well, he ends up having this party, and a few days into this party, he decides, man, I kind of want to showboat my queen to all my princes. Like, all his princes are there. All of his boys are there. He's like, call in Queen Vashti. Like, I want everybody to see how hot she is, right? So Queen Vashti's like... That ain't happening. Like, I'm not gonna, this, this isn't a parade. Man, this is no dog and pony show. I'm not coming out. Well, because that beca- gets into her heart like that and she doesn't come, man, the king, he just, he's offended by this. He can't believe she's not coming. Man, she, he is angry. So what happens is the princes that are there, they end up coming to the king. 
and they say, King, I've, I've got an idea, man. Why don't you gather up all the hot ladies from all the provinces and um, you just take your pick of whichever one you want. Like every king in history is probably like, that sounds legit, we're gonna do that. So they call in all these people, all these ladies, and we happen to find within there this lady that we know by the name of Esther. So she has been called as one of the ladies to come in. Now, while she's there, she goes through like this 12-month beautification process, which is crazy to me. Like they must have had to really clean the girls up back then. I don't know. 12, that's, that's kind of a long time. But anyway... So she's there. She, as soon as she gets there, man, the guy that's kind of over the harem, his name is Haggai, and she instantly wins favor with him. And we're going to pick it up in chapter 2, verse 15, and kind of see where this goes. So it says, when the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his own daughter. So just to make this easy, we're going to look at Mordecai as the dad. Abihail's actually the dad, but he died. Mordecai kind of took that over. He brought her in. So the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Mordecai, we'll say, to go in to the king. She asked for nothing except what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who had charge over the woman, advised. So in other words, Haggai was like, hey, these are the things that the king likes. Do these things. You're going to do well because she'd won favor with him. It goes on and says, Now Esther was winning favor in the eyes of all who saw her. And when Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus, tough name, fun to say in church, when he was taken to King Ahasuerus into his royal palace in the 10th month, which is the month of Tibet, in the seventh year of the reign, the king loved Esther more than all the women. And she won grace, and there's that word again, and favor in his sight more than all the virgins so that he set the royal crown on her head and he made her queen instead of Vashti. So of all the ladies in the province, man, Esther comes in, wins incredible favor with everyone she sees. She ends up being elevated to be the queen. So an unbelievable act that happens here. Just the, the divine providence of God to move. Well, we wanna draw it out of that as a church because we're gonna see several things. If we're gonna begin to let the scriptures bear their weight on us and kind of strengthen us and encourage us and challenge us to be people of faith and walk forward, what we wanna draw out of this, our first point is this, that God gives us favor in the place he wants to use us. Now, in saying that, I wanna say this, God does absolutely give us his favor in the places he called us. And in fact, a lot of pastors call this walking in the fog, F-O-G, the favor of God. I, I kind of like that. That's silly, but we do silly things. So, but it helps you remember, right? So even though God will set you in the place that he desires for you to be, and he will give you favor in that place, I want to caution us and remind us of this, that this isn't a passive faith. This isn't something to where the Lord drops you in a place and all of a sudden you just sit and you wait for the Lord to move in your life. And faith is gonna be that thing that's the catalyst to get us out of our seat and onto our feet to begin serving the King of glory. Because there are certain things that God wants to specifically do through you in the exact place that he has called you to be. And this doesn't even remain passive in our relationship with God. Remember the church of Ephesus. The church of Ephesus, man, Jesus speaks directly to him through letter by John. And he says, man, I know your works, boys. Like, you're doing some bang-up stuff for the kingdom. You're doing well. Not only that, but doctrinally, you're doing incredible. 
I mean, you can test the people who call themselves apostles. You found them to be liars. I have this one thing against you. You've left the love that you've had at first. Now, love in the Christian world, true love of God, the agape of God, it comes through the Holy Spirit pouring that love into our heart. We're told that in Romans chapter five. So our connection with the Father, even in the place of serving him, is without question important. So much so, Jesus said that, man, unless you repent of this thing, unless, unless you return to the love that you had at first, man, I'm, I'm shutting the lights down on the church. So I want to read to you, if, if, man, if there was ever a guy that God used, and there's so many in the word, but there's so many here as well. I mean, all of us, God's called to do something. But the Apostle Paul, without question, stands kind of creme de la creme of the dudes that just did incredible things for God. Listen to what he says to the church of Colossae. He says this in chapter four, verse two. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And notice what he says about him personally. He says, at the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word. In other words, God has planted me where he's called me to be. And, and you see Paul kind of bouncing off the areas that he wants to go as the Holy Spirit's like, no, don't go there, you're going to Macedonia. And Paul going everywhere that the, that the Lord has called him to go, but he's still saying, I need your prayers. I need you to pray for me that God may open a door for us for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison. And he also says this, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak, the master of the gospel himself, the guy that Jesus Christ personally poured into for three years in Arabia, according to Galatians, is saying, I need your prayers. I need your prayers, one, for a door to be open for me to present the gospel, two, that I'll preach it clearly. So prayer becomes such a foundation stone to everything that gets done in the kingdom, even if and even because God has placed you exactly where he wants to be, Man, do not miss that God has asked us to go before him because when he lays the foundation and he opens the doors, man, God is the one that gets the glory in that. So let's jump back into Esther real quick. So Queen Esther had just become queen, right? So all of a sudden we see a new guy rise up. His name is Haman. Haman ends up being kind of our Satan figure, kind of the Antichrist figure of the text. Like he's just a bad dude. He's ready to just completely destroy the Jews. And the reason for that is because the king of Persia, he had elevated him to like the second position in the kingdom. Like he had power, man. And everybody in the kingdom, they would bow at his feet. They, would, they thought he was just awesome, except for one man, Mordecai. Now, remember, Mordecai is the father of Esther, and he would be at the king's gate daily. Well, he would not bow. He would not do anything to show Haman respect, so this angers Haman. So Haman comes up with this plot of how he's going to go to the king, and he does go to the king, and he says, hey, there's this people group that's scattered amongst all your provinces, and they are a people who will not bow. They will not follow your laws. I want you to issue a decree that you kill the Jewish nation that you put them to death, and the king's like, signet rings it, good to go, this is happening. Well, the way that God's sovereign hand works in all this, which is really neat to me, is all of a sudden, why Mordecai is at the gate, Mordecai hears all this chatter going on from some of the king's people, that they are, they're upset. They're gonna go in and they're gonna try to king, kill the king. He gets word over to Esther, Esther hears about it, tells the king, the king's life is saved. And it says, just randomly, all this is recorded in a book. 
Okay, so moving forward from that is where we're gonna find ourselves. Remember, a plot had just come to completely destroy the Jews. Now, all the Jews in the area, man, they are, they are beside themselves. They're dressed up in sackcloth and ashes like they did some weird stuff when they were weeping back in the day. But um, even Mordecai is, and he sends word up to Esther. And he asks Esther, you, you gotta do something. You gotta save us. You have audience with the king. And Esther sends back a reply and she says, the very thing that you're asking me to do is against the law. No one comes to the king unless they're summoned by the king. If I come and he doesn't welcome me, it means death for me. And that's the word that she gets back to him. And this is what happens in chapter four, verse 12 is where we'll pick up. It said, and they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply this to Esther. Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, listen to the faith of Mordecai. He knows the promises of Israel. He knows what God has said about Israel. If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance, it will rise for the Jews from another place. Like God is gonna keep his sovereign people safe. We will not be annihilated. He says, but you and your father's house will perish. And this is one of the greatest verses in all the Bible next, powerful. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Now, if you continue reading there, what you see is, is uh, Queen Esther says, okay, like that, that word did it. So what I want you to do is hold a, fa- a three-day fast, get all the Jews fasting. I, me and my girls in the harem, we're gonna fast for three days. And um, I'm gonna go before the king And if I perish, I perish. So as a people of God, 21st century, what do we draw out of that for us is this, that God does place us in the place that he wants us to be. He, without question, gives us favor in that place as well. But God gives us the opportunity to make kingdom impact in that place I think one of the coolest verses is in Acts chapter 17. Paul is preaching to the Athenians at the Areopagus. And when he's there, he's just making these beautiful statements like God who is not put in temples made of human hands. He gives life and breath and everything to men. Takes a weird turn. And he says this. He says, but he has pre-appointed both the times of the dwelling of men and the boundaries of their location that they may seek him. In other words, it is no accident that you live in the 21st century, that you have decided to reside wherever in the area you live, Fort Worth, Lake Worth, Saginaw, whatever, and it's no accident that you find yourself at the Creek Church in Saginaw at this time. This is something the hand of the sovereign God, what he does in our lives He places us in the exact location, the boundary of our dwelling at the exact time that we're supposed to be there. Why? Because God desires for you to make gospel impact in your life. God is giving you the opportunity to swing for the fences for his kingdom. And we're told biblically that, man, we are more than conquerors in Jesus. The spirit of God desires to come into your life 
in a radically transformative way and change everything about your heart. Give you such a love for the community around you, such a love for the people that you do life with in here. So much so that it changes the trajectory of your life completely. And it gives you a missional heart to go out and see the world and the kingdom of Satan rocked for the living God's sake. It's such, an, it's such a beautiful thing to watch. But the number one thing that Matt has been talking about during a lot of this series is fear. Fear is the absolute antithesis of faith. It's the absolute enemy of your faith. It is the thing that will cripple you from doing the work of God in your life. And it'll do it every time. I'm gonna talk a little bit about fear again at the end and the only way that we can possibly conquer fear is a body of Christ. But uh, I'll get to that a little bit later. But I wanna say this, that there are a lot of gospel opportunities here at the church. God is doing some amazing things at the creek. I, I come back and I see, I see the, the additions to the building. I, I know this place gets packed in here. I know amazing things are happening in Creek Kids, Canvas, the student ministry, out in the world. And you guys are doing incredible things. There are a ton of gospel opportunities here. But let me show you what the enemy will do sometimes. What the enemy will do is all of a sudden you'll start looking around and you'll think, man, there is a need in this particular area. Like, I don't understand why the church is not addressing this specific need in this specific place. And it's what the enemy begins to do with that is he begins to draw a little bit of division in our hearts to where we think, gosh, where, where are they? Where's the church in this need? And what we don't realize a lot of times is that the living God is beginning to birth a gospel opportunity in your heart. But in, a lot of times, instead of understanding that and seeing that and knowing that, man, maybe, maybe the Lord is opening up other people's hearts in this area too, and we need to gather, and we need to figure out this ministry. Instead, a lot of times we can get overburdened by it, and we can start thinking the church should be doing this, and because they're not, it's not a gospel-centered church, and I'm out. Listen, God is awakening your hearts to ministry. There's only so much the staff here can do. And there is so much work to be done in the kingdom of God. I would say fight that with every breath you have and understand that a lot of times those needs, you are specifically equipped by God to step into those needs and to do amazing things for the kingdom that you have been called for such a time as this. So let's get back into Esther. I, I know I'm running out of time, and um, I, I, I got chastised by Adam yesterday because I went like 50 minutes, so I'm going to do my best not to do that today. But anyway, so Esther decides she's going to go to the king, right? So Esther, she walks into the king, and by the grace of God, the king is like, hey, Esther, come on in. And not only does he just say it like, hey, yeah, it's cool, we can talk. He's like, what's your request? I will give it to you up to a half of my kingdom, crazy. Well, Esther comes in and she says, just very simply, I just want to have a banquet. I want to have a banquet with me, with you, and Haman. Remember, Haman's the second in command, big prominent dude, but he's also the guy that decided he wants to kill all the Jews, right? So with that, we pick it up in chapter 5, verse 9. So they just had the banquet. It went awesome. They had some awesome days of partying again, like they do back then. Verse 9, and Haman went out that day joyful. Well, of course, he just hung out with the king and queen. He went out that day joyful and glad of heart. 
But when Haman saw Mordecai at the, in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. And he sent and brought in his friends and his wife Zeresh. And Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, all the promotions with which the king had honored him and how he had advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. Then Haman said, even Queen Esther, let me come into the king to the feast she prepared. And tomorrow I'm also invited by her together with the king. Yet all of this is worthless. All of this is worth nothing to me so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. So his friends, his wife Zeresh at this point, they say, you know what? Hey, let's make some gallows like 50 feet high or 50 cubits high, super tall, and let's hang Mordecai from it. And it said that that thing pleased Haman. I bet it did. But as a people of God, listen to me very, very carefully. And we have experienced this without question going into Cleburne. I would probably say that in my 17 years of ministry, I have not faced spiritual attack and spiritual oppression like I have in the last four months. All 17 years combined. It has been difficult. It has been dark. It has been a, a no-holds-barred slugfest in Cleburne for the people of Cleburne. But listen to me very carefully. When you step in to whatever ministry that God is calling you to do, when you do get on your feet and start advancing for the kingdom, you better know that the enemy takes notice. And that's what we wanna pull out of this is that the enemy will rise up to stop the movement of God. He will, every time. But one of the greatest things that we've seen in Cleburne as well, the tactics of the enemy, they don't change a whole lot. Now he can play some crazy mind games, he can close some doors and he can make things rise up that just seem crazy. But his schemes, his tactics, they don't really change. And once you start to recognize them, man, it's just par for the course. You get it. I'll give you a bit of an example. I gave this example to our church um, a few weeks ago when I preached. But um, about 10 years ago, um, when we were living in Fort Worth, this was before we were even living in Saginaw, we, uh, the Lord of the Rings, it's funny that Adam mentioned that this morning. Thanks for priming them, Adam. But uh, the Lord of the Rings was kind of in its heyday at that time. And I was fascinated by the Lord of the Rings, man. I loved that show. There was one character on there that was the best of all. His name was Gollum. Like, just creepy, man. Gollum, Smeagum had kind of this duplicitous mind where one time he's good, the other time he's bad. Sometimes they talked and together, and that was the super creepy part. But he had this walk, this crawl, this run that was just, it was freaky, man. So one day in my office... I don't know what came over me, but I decided I'm going to try to learn how to walk like this. So I'm, if anybody would have walked in, like I wouldn't have lived it down to this day. It had to look incredibly ridiculous, but I'm dragging a leg behind me, like knuckles dragging the floor. About 20 minutes in, I feel like I got it. Like I got the Schmeagel walk down. So it's time to unveil it for the family, right? So at the time, um, my, my daughter was about two. This is my oldest daughter, so my second daughter wasn't even born. Well, I open the door to my office and I just come barreling out, running like Schmeagel, and I'm snarling, man. I'm like, I'm coming down the hall. And I turn the corner, and let me pause the story for a moment. And I, wanna, I want you to understand something about my wife. Yeah, I've met a lot of people in my life. I don't think anybody scares as easily as my wife does. I mean, 
It doesn't take much and she collapses to the floor. Like that's how it is in our home. But the crazy thing about my wife also is like if there's any kind of noise in the middle of the night, maybe the dog knocks something over or something, like I'm still kind of trying to figure out where I'm at, still wiping the crust out of my eyes. Like she's already went through every room in the house. Now, I don't know what she would do if there was an intruder. She would probably do like some animals do and just fall to the ground and play as though dead. But um, she, she is wildly ferocious when it comes to her kids. Like she will go and she will protect them at all costs despite fear. Okay, so back to the story. So I come around the corner, man, just barreling in there, snarling, just being weird. And um, she sees me. And I know that I've really scared her worse than I've ever scared her in my life because only for a moment she grabs my two-year-old and uses her as a human shield, (laughs) right? So I see that and I think, man, I crossed the line. Like I did something that I can't undo. This was a mistake. This never needs to happen again. So two or three days later, I do it again, right? And I come barreling out of the office again. I cut into the kitchen this time and she sees me this time and she gets a little bit startled because that's just weird for a, man, a grown man to do. But she gets startled for just a moment and then this look comes over her face like, gosh, I married that. You know, like, this is such an odd man. But the thing that had changed over the course of time was simply this. Man, she understood what it was. She had seen it before. The enemy's tactics, they don't change. And when we begin to see, that, that first time we go through it, it's crazy, it's scary, it, you don't know what's going on, it seems like your world's turned upside down, everything is coming against you at once. Before long, it's just, and I know what this is. I ain't scared. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna keep fighting. I'm gonna keep pressing in. So understand that when we step out, when we get out of our comfort zone, when we begin to make gospel impact into the world, Listen, the kingdom of Satan doesn't set idly by in this. And he comes after us with a sledgehammer. But no weapon formed against you will prosper. Greater is he who's within you than he who's within the world. Those aren't just clever things we say to make us feel better. This is the truth of the living God. That God is for you, that he's with you, and he's fighting on your behalf. But there's a reason the Bible talks about perseverance. And fighting. Well, let's, let's jump back in. I think Adam's starting to sweat bullets that it's taken me so long here. So remember, Haman. So Haman, he hatches up this plot. He's going to kill Mordecai on the gallows he made, right? So he's going to go into the king that morning. Well, providentially, because God is awesome, the night before, the king of Persia, has, he's, he's in bed. He's just troubled, man. He's freaked out. So he calls his advisors in to kind of just read, read me a nine-eye story, man. I need something. So out of all the books that they could grab, they happened to grab the book that had the works of Mordecai and how he saved the king. It's read back to the king, and the king's like, have we ever honored this man? Have we ever done anything? I mean, he saved my life. And they're like, no, king, we've never done anything. So we roll into the next morning. The next morning, all of a sudden, In comes Haman, and Haman's ready to say, I want the death of Mordecai, but the king asks him a question first. He says, hey, what should we do to honor the man that the king wants to honor? That's how he phrases it. And Mordecai, or I'm sorry, Haman's thinking, gosh, I I, I can't imagine anybody else that that the king would want to honor than me. So, man, dress him up in some robes, like parade him around the town, let everybody bow and kiss his feet. And the king's like, yeah, that sounds good. Do that for Mordecai. I can't imagine what came over Haman at that point. 
Like, hey man, I'm sorry that happened. You get that, hey man? That was, that's my lame joke for you, Adam. So I gotta give him one every time. Thank you. He didn't boo. Gosh, that's amazing. He, <laughs> the grace of coming back home. But anyway, so he, Haman parades him around town. He's coming back later that night, of course, because there's a party happening. He's the guest of honor. And that's where we're gonna pick up the story for the final piece that we're gonna read today. Chapter seven, verse one. So the king and Haman went into the feast with Queen Esther. And on the second day, again, partying like rock stars, man, on the second day of the feast, as they were drinking wine after the feast, the, queen, the king said to Esther, what is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. Then Queen Esther answered, if I've found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be granted me for my wish and my people for my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent. For our affliction is not to be compared with the loss to the king. Then King Asahurus said to Queen Esther, who is he? Where is he? Who has dared to do this? And Queen Esther's like, awkward. He's right there. She, he says, and Esther said, a foe and an enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. Now, the king gets super upset, man. He is livid at this point, right? So he goes to chill and cool off for a minute in the garden palace. And Haman's just pleading for his life at this point. Had no idea that Queen Esther was Jewish when he ordered their destruction. So the king just happens to be walking back in right when Haman's kind of fallen down before the queen and he thinks that, she's, that he's assaulting the queen. So he's like, what, you're gonna assault my queen too? What should we do to this man? And his guys are like, hey, there's like some gallows that were made 50 cubits high. Let's go hang him up there. Like it's a crazy process. That happened. You can't write a better story than God can craft through history. It's a beautiful story. The cool thing is Jews end up being saved, of course, um, Mordecai ends up getting Haman's job, becomes the number two man in the kingdom, crazy. And then he gets Haman's house. Like that's some beautiful poetic justice in my opinion. But what we wanna draw out of that, and this is our final point for us as a church. Listen, God is gonna place you where he wants you to be. He's gonna give you favor in that location. He's gonna give you an opportunity to make gospel impact, kingdom impact. The enemy's gonna come against it and number four is this, faith, your faith to step forward is the catalyst to impact the future, not for your glory, it's to impact the future for the glory of God. Listen, when we step into the things that God has called us to do, it brings glory to God. We talk a lot about bringing glory to God. It's part of our mission statement here to glorify God through lives changed by the message of Jesus. Listen, Glorifying God, we'll, we'll break it down to three different areas in our life. Number one, it's just praising him with our lips, right? Just talking about how stinking awesome God is. Just letting everybody around us know how great God is. That's praising him with the fruit of our lips, bringing glory to him. Second, we do it with our lives, right? As the Holy Spirit comes into us, it says that the Lord begins a work on our heart as we see his glory and as we behold his glory, his awesomeness, his splendor, his greatness, that the Spirit of God begins to transform us into that same image. That's a crazy thought. But what is God? Man, 1 John 4 tells us God is love. 
the living God begins to transform us through his spirit into a people of love. And that is what defeats fear. You remember the story that I just told about my wife and I? What was the one thing that got her out of bed even in the midst of fear? Love. Her love for her children. It doesn't matter how scared she is of a situation. Love overcomes uh, fear every time. And as the living God begins to radically transform our heart as a people of God, as he begins to give us a burden for one another, a burden for the city, that love begins to compel us in such a way that fear has no place in the people of God. And all of a sudden, we step up and we begin to do the things that God has called us to do. And that is what brings glory to God. Because the third part of bringing glory to God, Jesus said it in a high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, verse 4. He said, I have glorified you on the earth. I have accomplished all that you've given me to do. We bring glory to God when we begin to understand as a people of God why he's called us here, what he's called us to do, and we step out and we begin making gospel impact in that place. We will stand before the living God to give an account of our lives one day, and the time that we have here is short. And man, I know the staff here, I know the elders here, they want more than anything to just set that ball up on a tee for you, man, so you can swing for the fences. You have such opportunity here, and God is doing such amazing things here, whether it's in Creek Kids, whether it's in the student ministry, whether it's in Africa. God has put his hand upon this place and blessed it, and he's called you by faith to rise up as the people of God and begin making the same gospel impact. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for the love that you have for your church. Lord, that you would use earthen vessels, that you would use us, Lord, these bags of what people call protoplasm, Lord, to swing for the fences and make an impact in the kingdom of Satan. Lord, we know his gates won't stand, but Father, my heart and my hope for our people Lord, is that you begin to move by your spirit over this place and you begin to unlock in the minds of these guys that, Lord, you have called them for such a time as this in the kingdom that, yes, faith is gonna try to cripple us. Yes, faith is gonna try to, or fear is gonna try to keep us back. But God, we're told in 1 Corinthians 12 that faith is a gift that comes on the people of God. And Lord, I'm calling and I'm asking that the Spirit of God would equip our men and women here with the faith that it takes to rise up and to be the people of God that you've called them to be, to go into the communities that are here, to love the people, to take the light of Christ into the dark corridors of our city and that the light of Christ would be seen, the love of Christ would be felt, and the kingdom of God would come upon this earth. Lord, pour that love into the people that they need by the Holy Spirit to conquer the fear in their life and to understand that you have called them to swing hard for the kingdom. And when they swing, they will connect. And one of the most beautiful things we see happen in our lives is when we see the future impacted by the Spirit of God. Lord, may these guys all see your handiwork in this culture. May they all see your handiwork. But Lord, may they never stop there. May their hearts and their desire be to step onto the waves 
to move into the calling that you've given specifically to them for your glory, for your kingdom, for your majesty, Lord. We pray that you've been blessed here today, Lord. And my hope and my prayer is that as we move out of this building today, Father, that we glorify you by being a light and by being salt in our communities. We love you. We give you this day and we give you our lives and our hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Creek Church. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast, or if you have any questions, you can email us at info at